Welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. Welcome to our podcast, Research Culture Uncovered. It's season four, focusing on researcher careers, and we're already in episode four. I'm your host, Ruth Winden, and I'm the Careers with Research Consultant at the University of Leeds. Today, I'm talking to a fantastic postdoctoral researcher who has managed his transition into industry in a textbook manner. He did his PhD in Texas at Texas A&M University in physical chemistry and his postdoc at Leeds in space physics, building bespoke optical instruments. On our career architect program, he realized he loves working with complex instruments, programming computer scripts and teaching people complicated concepts with 3D animations. And that clarity about his career aspirations helped him secure a position with an industry leader, Andor. Welcome, Dr. Nicholas West. It's such a pleasure to have you. Hello, yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so where are you today? Are you in Milan? Is that right? Yes, I am. Fantastic. And we'll come back to Milan because there's a reason <laughs> why, you're, why you're in Milan. And um, <laughs> let's get back to you. Um, but before we dive into your career and how you've managed it so well, Nick, I just wanted to talk to you about something that struck me immediately when I met you. And I know you have a bit of a passion for dancing and not just dancing in general, but a special job. And do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yes. Um, so just basically since high school, I've been doing swing dancing. And um, so I, I joined the local swing dancing groups uh, in, in Leeds um, right away. And actually, that's where I met my my then girlfriend, but now wife. And, you know, it's it's been my my outlet to, you know, de-stress a bit, but also um, has led to some of these things that are affecting my, my career paths that we'll, we'll probably get into uh, in the next part of the yeah. discussion. So now you're a dual national career couple as well with an Italian wife, you know, um, coming over from the US. So you're truly global orientated, Nick. Okay, Absolutely. so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about about your background because you know I've always wondered you were in the US what attracted you to the UK now you're off to Italy where does a curiosity about different countries come from um so I mean overall I I, I do enjoy um meeting different types of people and and learning about different types of cultures I mean even before coming to the UK and then next Italy um I moved around in different areas within the U.S. And so there's, you know, somewhat different cultures there. But now I'm, you know, really exploring uh, some places in Europe as well. Yeah. And it's interesting to see when you talk to me, you said, I just like playing with instruments. And I thought that mm -hmm. was such a great thing to say. You know, it's so clear. It's a real passion of yours. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that playing with instruments is? Yeah. So I think that um, really brought me to the, the postdoctoral position because you, you through the university, you start playing um, through chemistry and physics. Um, if you want to do experimental things, you can start playing with these instruments. I fell in love with 
you know, physically attaching, working, doing the plumbing of the gases, the electrical bits of it, the programming, every aspect of it to make one big instrument to make some some new chemical insight in the world. And I realized the, the postdoc position is kind of the ultimate position you can reach within academia, unless you maybe you go to a national lab and, and have a career in that. But otherwise, as soon as you become a professor, you don't get to touch and play with, you know, with all this equipment anymore. So the, the, the hands on role, that was really what you wanted to keep. Okay. And that's yeah, when yeah. you started looking outside of academia. And I was part of your journey. And I was so impressed with when you were in career architect, you know, how methodical you were and how much effort you put into really going deep so that you felt assured I'm making a good choice here. Because you also, let's be open about this, you also had a real challenge. You were American, you wanted to stay in the UK, you needed to find someone who was willing to take you on with the whole visa situation. Tell us how you did that, because I thought that was a really clever approach you took. Yeah, I think my my partner at that time maybe was still kind of in the beginning of her role. And so we wanted to stay, and but it was based in Manchester. And so we wanted to make sure that I, I could travel to be where, where she needed to be. Um, and I, I needed a work visa still. So partially I was flailing about putting whatever I thought would be important on LinkedIn, um, you know, reading how to do that, um, looking up the list of, companies that are already registered to sponsor visa so i could know if i did get uh responses from recruiters or so could the company already know how to to keep people and um it really helped when i went into the career architect program to really systematically analyze myself of there was little aspects of it that i think i had touched on before but it really clarified what I needed to do to systematically analyze the different jobs that were out there. Cause I, I didn't, I kind of never having been in the industry before, there's so many job titles that I just had no, no clue what they were. And so um, I think Ruth really helped me to figure out what things I would like to do in jobs and what things I could be okay if it wasn't quite there and, and really pick the top ones and only focus on those ones. Um, yeah. And I learned so much from you doing that process when we looked at transferable skills, because as part of the program, what we always do is we'll look at your top 10 motivated skills or the skills that you love doing and that you're also very good at. And you came up with your list of 10. And I still teach and I always refer to you because it was your idea how to do it, your method, and it's really effective. Do you want to tell a little bit more about what you did with comparing your top 10 motivated skills against opportunities? Because that seemed to really mm -hmm. help you narrow down because with your background, you could have gone into lots of different directions. Yeah. So I think some of the, the top ones that I had on there were um, programming, um, working with instruments, um, doing presentations on on um, these complex uh, topics. And so a, a couple of them that I had recruiters coming to me for were, first of all, this, this application specialist role for Andor, where I, would, I am currently traveling around to conferences, going to universities to train people how to use the instruments, doing all these things i i don't uh get to do as long of heavy calculations as you might in like an rnd situation so um when i was sat down talking with ruth i said I, I think this just means on the weekends i i can have that as a hobby but it's not you know my my core role day in and day out and i was comparing that to i think the other major um late round interview that i had was for a pro like just lab view programming job in paris where i was like well the location wasn't quite right and it's it's just programming there was uh, 
um, the, the Andor really ticked all the boxes um, at that you know point in time. Yeah, you are very systematic, weren't you, in looking at, these are my top 10. It's unrealistic to get a, a role where all my top 10 are fulfilled. And you said, okay, this one, the programming side is not as strong, but I can use the programming in my spare time. And that's what you're doing because I know you're also studying Python on the side. And I thought, you know, breaking it down and really thinking what does my what would it be like to do this role day in day out you know um and what are my transferable skills which are the ones i love doing i'm really good at so the motivator skills as we call them and then being systematic and comparing but also not being okay unless it's 100 percent, i'm not going there you know because mm -hmm. that's totally unrealistic and so you did that really well and then you seem to um, move into a really fantastic company because what i noticed then on linkedin as soon as you joined all your colleagues came onto linkedin and they were so welcoming so lovely things about you your boss came in you know and i thought wow you know that seems to be an organization that really appreciates its staff yeah absolutely um yes yeah, so some of the colleagues there as well were, were pretty good with linkedin there was um, a lot of onboarding is you know it was still kind of in COVID time so it was a little bit more remote than um you would normally do but um it was you know as soon as we could they had me come there for training there's um it's a very close-knit team that when, when they do go out to conferences and things you go out to dinner afterwards and and, and hang out with each other yeah so the social aspects as, as well as you know the, the challenging role and what are you enjoying most about your new role or actually it's not that new anymore because you've been there two years is that right yeah it's hard to say any one thing that i you know enjoy the most i mean it, it, it takes all the boxes with all the the technical the the my my skills that i wanted to be able to do there so that that was definitely good it, it allowed me to have the freedom to, to and the security to know i could could move around with my my wife when i when i needed to it's a lot of a lot of things there yeah and you know a lot of researchers are worried about oh you know could I actually be adaptable and after some time in academia you know be effective in different cultures or even enjoy different cultures what have you learned about the cultural differences working in academia and in industry is it really the difference as big as people worry about or what, what did you notice so I think um, in academia I always got the sense of um I always felt like if there's a problem, I'm the one that needs to solve it because there's there's no one else that's going to take over and, and get you to the point where this paper is going to be published. And it's in some cases, it's almost the opposite in a company. If if it's not in in your role that you're meant to be doing, that your manager wants you to do, you're you're really not supposed to do these other outside activities to, to push the team forward. It's it's almost supposed to you're almost supposed to leave something sometimes just so that the company at a higher level feels, oh, there's a gap there. We need to hire a new person to fill that role. And and if you're doing that other task that you're not meant to be doing, it means you're not doing your role. Um, there's a little bit of this as well as what I mean by working as a team it, to kind of describe what that actually means, though, and in terms of a company then is that so there, I'm kind of in the sales wing, but I, I work with the product management people that design the instruments. Um, I work with the marketing people and I'm, I'm kind of a technical advisor because I, I have a window into I, I talk to the customers a lot and understand how they use the, the equipment and what they want in the next generation of the equipment, what they would respond onto in terms of marketing content that the, the company would put on the LinkedIn page. So these people and these other departments will come to me and ask me for help with these things. But I always, 
as long as it's hard to judge exactly, but if it's only going to take a half hour or an hour, fine. Yeah, you 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 work with those teammates. If these people start to ask you for a day or two of your time, your manager wants to know: Are you still going to be able to get done what um, your manager wants you to do? If you're doing too much help in marketing or you know some other department? Yeah. yeah so it's that fine balance between you know focusing on your role, hitting your targets. I'm sure you have targets. You're oh, a yeah. sales yep. wing, <laughs> and yep. also you know um, working across the organization, supporting because you obviously in that role have a really important position because you're the linchpin between between the customer and you know the organization, the product, and so you obviously have hear a lot of things on the ground from your customers. You know what they like, what they need you know what they want to improve and that so you have a lot of intelligence that you then take back into the organization haven't you mm-hmm, absolutely and when you look at your postdoc what helped you then be so successful because it's so obvious from linkedin and you know your posts and people's comments that you're really good at what you do what helped you what did you take from the postdoc that helped you be so effective in industry I mean, I think I had the technical background, so I wasn't as worried that I was, you know, going to be out of my depth in that aspect. And I think even from the interviews, they identified, oh, well, you don't have a sales background. You know, are you really going to do okay in this? It was kind of, you know, sort of that, that you know, fresh out of academia doubts that somebody might have when they're, they're trying to hire you. And so one, I think it was just identifying, okay, that's where I'm going to need to improve. And the company identifying that, so they, they put me through sale, different types of sales trainings, first of all, to, to understand what value I have to the customers and, and how we can actually commodify that to sell that, basically. And also, I think I was just you know a little bit, little bit lucky because one of my colleagues on the team, she had been there for at least a year before. I forget exactly how, how long now, but um, she was set to mentor me to make sure that I was successfully making that that transition because she had only maybe a year or a couple of years before transitioned into industry herself. Yeah. So she was familiar with the organization and the company, but also, you know, fresh enough, new enough to know what it's like when you join. So was she Absolutely. like your informal mentor? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And and over the past uh, year or so, I've, I've um, that, that role has changed person. Um, and so this new person that came in, I've been mentoring her, this, this new person as well, doing trying to pay it forward a little bit. Yeah, fantastic. And what has surprised you the most about the difference between industry and academia? I think you mentioned to me a while ago, the pace is different. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, from academia, you know, there's sort of the grant cycles where you um, you you have a certain set of objectives that you're supposed to complete over a couple of year period. Sometimes that research really doesn't go to plan, so you change pathway, but it's not your your boss isn't going to change their mind all of a sudden and you just change direction um and so this can sometimes happen you know so, sometimes you can stay on a project for much much longer probably in industry and then sometimes the company can decide it's changing the direction it wants to go in and you have to be able to just drop your previous project and go on to the next one right so you have to be really flexible and be it be not too attached but equally committed so that's quite yeah. a challenge isn't it because you don't know know what you know the strategy at the top that might change so you then have to adapt and yeah interesting and the other thought I had was you know how have you surprised yourself 
Yeah, a couple of those things. So there was um, seeing how quickly I can can adjust to these changing situations when need to. Not, you know, it's not it's not a huge thing. I'm just saying because that's just the difference. So that's the why I'm emphasizing it only. Um, with Ruth on the careers architect program where like I myself am a, am a perfectionist so it was you know when, when we're when a when the bosses ask you when you're doing the interview what are your strengths and your weaknesses this is kind of the one you could say is a bit of both because I dig really deep into um problems and can give very thorough answers uh to some things sometimes but also it can be seen as something being too slow when you when they don't want quite as um long of an answer so um really partially that was about moderating myself in that and partially it's um uh, uh, about direct communication with my my bosses when needed to make sure i was on the path that she wanted yeah just um getting used to the different types of internal politics and things that i you know just a lot of these things that i just could not have been aware of until i actually was in an industry position i think Mm. And it sounds like you're always so thoughtful and aware and self-critical and then see, okay, you know, I need to adapt here or I need to do more in this area or, and, and that makes you so very adaptable. Now, as we now look into the future, you are now moving on. And what really struck me immediately was how many people in your organization came onto LinkedIn and were saying, we totally understand family first because your Italian wife and you decided you're moving to Italy. But also, you know, how incredibly positive they were about your time with them. And I thought this is just such a lovely expression of how much they appreciated you because I said, we're so sorry to let you, you know, see you go. But at the same time, we fully understand and, you know, you want to be in Milan with your wife and be closer to her family. And that's why you're leaving. So what are your thoughts on moving forward to Italy now? So I think this is one of those things where it's, it just reached the point in my life where it, it felt like I, I, I needed a, a change um, because of the timing of my relationship um, with my partner and where I was at with basically I had been studying Italian for the last four years. So I'm, I'm reaching sort of the top levels of Italian classes. Like I, I really need to move to Italy if I ever want to just get better and, and, and get, I guess, fluent in, in Italian, hopefully at some point and so there was there was that aspect um there was you know slightly an artificial thing because it was i had a two-year work visa with andor um, and so i told them okay you need to support me one way or the other and I, um i was hoping they could support me to to move to italy they were happy to have supported me to stay in in the uk but um i had recently been married gotten married to my partner so um we didn't necessarily need a work visa we could move to italy through the family visa and I'm getting um, to the point where I could feel comfortable living, doing day-to-day tasks in Italy with the language. Um, unfortunately, through some tax reasons and you know politics and some of these things, it was just too difficult to support me in my role in Italy with Andor. So I've recently given them my three-month notice and I'm on the job search again in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> You are on the move and we've been trying to use our networks in, in the university, see whether we can make, we can create some good connections. So can you tell us a little bit more, what are you looking for, Nicholas? Maybe some of the listeners or someone who listens in might have an opportunity for you. You never know how these things work. 
Absolutely. Fingers crossed. Um, um, yeah. So I, well, I, again, used LinkedIn to make an announcement that that's what we're doing that, you know, that I do appreciate everything that Andor has done for me. I've, I've loved working there um, because it utilizes my skills. I feel valued. I, it, it for the longest time gave me what I needed in my personal life. Um, uh, to to be you know with with my partner, but um, going forward, looking for another role, I I, I do want to try to maximize using a lot of the skills that I have, and so um, there, there's a certain couple directions I think I could go in. Um, I think a lot of this journey of uh, finding your right career path, in my opinion, is kind of finding out about the unknowns of the situation of this move. So, for example, one of the pathways I've looked at a little bit is for a data scientist role. Uh, well, the the very first thing I did was just translate my CV and convert it into Italian so that I could look for an application specialist role because this would also be a very, very good. But um, just to kind of see what else is out there, um, when I was looking at data scientist roles, I actually had a, another colleague that left um, uh, the same group, basically, in the chemistry department as me, where um, she went into data science. So I asked her for an informational interview over a coffee, and, and we discussed what she had to do. So she had to pick up a few skills to learn. She had done a lot of Python work, so you know, kind of maybe in a similar situation as I am now, where I'm, I've used Python uh, for some stuff. But she had to learn some SQL and maybe start to learn some some machine learning, I think. But it was it was kind of a I was trying to figure out how, how could I be competitive in, in that in that marketplace, and it was similar to maybe I should also mention. Um, a blind spot I had very early in my other career search back, back when I was leaving Leeds University, leaving the postdoc because I had worked with some aerospace engineers and because other people in the US and my group from Texas had gone to aerospace companies, I was like, oh, cool, maybe I'll see if I can do this in the UK. And um, I think I didn't realize how just quite how important being a citizen of that country is to some of these are most of these aerospace companies. So it took an informational interview for it to kind of click that, you know, I, I'm really, I, at that point I was searching for, I was sending out CVs to jobs that they were never going to call me back. So it, um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of partly in the stage that I'm in now. I'm, um, I'm, you know, sending out CVs to jobs that I think match, but also at the same time trying to have informational interviews to make sure because I've heard horror stories where students are sending out thousands of CVs and never hearing back. And you're like, no one wants to do that. You, you really need to understand why are you not competitive, I think, in that situation? Because that's sometimes it's a little tweak to figure out exactly where you can go and, and actually be competitive in Absolutely. the job market. You know, we, we always say let's go for quality, not quantity, because a really good application is labor intensive. It takes a lot of time, a lot of targeting, thinking it through, positioning yourself, adapting your background, the opportunity, the organization. And that's always been our philosophy, hasn't it, Nicholas? You know, Absolutely. quality over quantity. And what I really like about your approach is you're so open-minded. You really do your research. You talk to people, you find out what's happening. And you're open-minded. And for instance, yes, data science is still a massively growing field and you're always learning. And I think one thing that you personify so much as a researcher, you know, the most important thing I think is that you're all such brilliant minds, but also so good at learning because the world is changing at such a rapid pace. 
it's really important that you know we keep learning and developing because who knows what the world will look like in 10 years time i mean i don't think the many people will be able to answer that you know with ai coming all these things and someone like you nicholas who's got obviously so many talents you have so many interests you're really good at learning and you're looking at pushing yourself and learning and developing you will find your way. You will, and you also know you've already changed several times. You've changed universities, you changed countries, you changed roles, you know, and, and that must give you confidence that, okay, this time it's Italy, it's another change, but I know I can do this because I've done it before and it's worked out. So, yes, yes, that's what I want to Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, Nicholas, when when you when you think back to when you were in that space, um I'm a postdoc. I know I love playing with things. And, you know, if I stay in academia, I will become at some point too remote to working with the equipment. When you think back of that time, wanting to, you know, develop that career path, what are some tips that you can give people who are, find themselves now in that situation? Any words of wisdom from you? Because you're so good at this career management <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I think I had the sense that I, you know, I knew what I liked to do out of, you know, the, the stuff that I did with my postdoc. But again, I didn't know what jobs were even out there. And then they go by so many different names, even the same role in different companies, all these things. I mean, personally, it helped me to go to the careers architect program to to be led through a lot of that stuff. Um, but otherwise, it's um, yeah, as I was saying, get, get feedback any way you can for it when you think you're finding the right pathway. Uh, again, um, besides the informational interviews, I liked the LinkedIn approach because I was able to see even though. I probably didn't narrow it down as well as I, I should have before making my LinkedIn really well for one one job versus another. It actually was was really interesting to see, okay, what are recruiters actually coming to me for? What what are the roles that they think I would be good in? Um, I mean, I, I would get, you know, I think these these roles that that I'm the one that I'm in now and and similar ones are take a really specific type of people. So while there's not too many of them out there, there's not too many of the people that fit in just right. And so compared to okay, so my my, my brother does um, app programming. He gets recruiters coming to him every day on his LinkedIn. He puts silly things like he has night vision on LinkedIn. And the recruiters are still coming in. I'm trying to get the search and the optimization, all that. And I get, you know, one every week, couple of weeks, just kind of depending on, you know, you, you use the open to work thing, all, all every little tool to, you know, when it, when it is the right fit, you you feel it. I think, you know, you you get most of the way there and the rest is convincing yourself and the other person that the people that are interviewing you, you can make it to the all the way there because they almost never are going to find somebody that's an absolute perfect fit. There will be opportunities out there where that is a perfect fit. And you've been really good and patient, you know, because you have that additional challenge with a visa, because not every company sponsors um, international um, professionals to come in. And, you know, I've learned so much from you and you've been such a joy to work with. And all I can say is the very, very best for your journey to Italy. And ciao. Thank you very much. I've, I've loved um, getting all the feedback from you as well, Ruth. You were, you were amazing to get the shower of information on every time we, we chat about the career stuff. So, um, yeah, thank you very much. It was good talking to you. Yeah, thank Ciao. you. And we'll go off now onto LinkedIn and I'll just share some of the latest things I've just learned. So to help you with your job search. Thank you so much, Nicholas. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.